Hello, I'm Michael Hainsworth. And I'm Rosalie Wanch, a senior policy analyst here at the C.D. Howe Institute. In its latest report titled The Dutch Model, A Cure for What Ails Canadian Healthcare, the Institute points out that progress on modernizing Canadian healthcare delivery remains slow. But what's speeding up is the demographic of Canadians getting older who need that healthcare. The Institute recommends policymakers look to the Dutch model as a good example of how managed competition can promote efficiency while preserving the principles of universal insurance and an equitable sharing of the cost. Rosalie joins us for insight into what that means. Rosalie, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Is Tommy Douglas going to be spinning in his grave over this conversation? Uh, well, it's hard to say. I would Maybe uh, we might disagree about how to solve the problem, but I think that we would probably agree that, um, you know, having universal coverage for healthcare and ensuring that everyone has access to high quality care that they can afford is is important. And I think that that's a shared value in Canada. So I, I wouldn't want to say what, what Tommy Douglas might think, but we might agree on more than you might expect, but we probably disagree on quite a bit as well. Well, let's start with what needs fixing in Canada's healthcare system that the Dutch model would address. Well, really, um, just let's start with the state of the healthcare system in Canada as it is today, and and maybe a little bit about what's happened over COVID. Um, well, and for one thing, pre-pandemic, there was a lot of discussion about how Canadians don't all have access to prescription drug insurance. We also don't have access to publicly covered dental coverage. Um, and so there are quite large gaps in Canada's, quote, universal uh, system. It, it's universal for what it covers, but it doesn't actually cover all of healthcare. And that's something that I think, regardless of sort of where on the political spectrum you fall, that that's really unique uh, amongst developed countries, maybe with the exception of the United States. And that gap in coverage does have implications for the public health care system. And so we, we really think of them as two completely separate things, whereas in other countries, they actually think about the public and private health care systems as a little bit more complementary and they work together a little bit better. It's not an us versus them. It's a how can we get health care to the people that need it, um, because that's the way that everyone benefits. And in terms of challenges that we're facing, I think it's quite clear that there's um, quite large shortages of healthcare practitioners at the moment, and particularly in institutional healthcare, so long-term care homes and hospitals. We're seeing nurses moving away from uh, those areas of employment to other areas of the healthcare sector, um, and so really, there's there's a real problem with the with the public healthcare system in Canada as it is right now because it's losing staff and care providers and the care providers that remain are being overworked, they're, they're burnt out, and many of them are suffering from you know, added stress, worsening mental health, and, and considering leaving the profession. And that, to me, doesn't sound like a system that's built to be successful for the long term. So this isn't just a conversation about pharma care and filling in some of the blanks in the demands. This is a structural issue that needs to be addressed. It, it really, really is. Uh, Canada's healthcare system as it exists today really is quite similar to how it was when it first got developed. 
except that healthcare itself has gotten much more complex. Um, the intensity of certain interventions is has increased. When when the healthcare system was designed, most care could be delivered by family doctors in in just from their regular offices, but more and more it's become hospital-based treatment or you know, complex interactions of treatments and interventions with medicines that require a lot more from healthcare providers. And so we we have more demand and they actually need to do more. And while the or while healthcare has been innovating all that time, the system itself has not been innovating alongside it to ensure that we actually are adapting to the new ways to deliver healthcare or ensuring that we actually have enough care providers or resources to deliver care in the most efficient and effective ways. We tend to rely more on the way that we've done things before and the system as it is doesn't have a mechanism for innovation. The real mechanism is political change. Any real change to the system needs to actually come from the top down. There's not what you see in other industries where companies can just compete with each other. And if one happens to be able to do something better or for cheaper, then they become the more dominant market player. There's no competitive mechanism within Canadian healthcare to actually drive that innovation. And so without political will, we really don't have a mechanism to drive the system forward. And that's part of why we're recommending the Dutch model is it is a way to both get broader coverage and also add a competitive mechanism to the healthcare system so that it can start to innovate, not just in healthcare as, as the technology develops, but even in the, at the system level where we really think about how we should do everything a little bit differently. So you point out that back in Tommy Douglas's era, you know, your general practitioner, family doctor was the one who would be responsible for the majority of your care. And and of course, the, the demographics of age were very different back then. So when it comes to Canada's model not keeping up with the pharmaceutical and technological progress that we've seen in medicine over the last few decades, where's the failure there? Is, is that political? Is that structural? I think you can't really separate one from the other because the structure of the system is that the only mechanism for innovation is political, then it can be easy to blame politics. But I would be sympathetic in that there's the tyranny of the urgent. Whatever is the biggest problem of the day might be what gets the most political attention, but many of the challenges in healthcare are highly complex and the improvements that you might be able to get from change wouldn't be realized immediately. And a lot of change requires quite a bit of upfront investment. And so it's, from a political perspective, actually quite challenging uh, to make change because Canadians are quite proud of the healthcare system, despite its challenges and flaws. And so are generally pretty risk averse to any changes to it. And so as much as I, we could blame the politicians, I think there's, it's really a problem with the mechanism where we've structurally made it that the only mechanism to improve the system is political and that that political process will never be as 
effective or fast as a competitive market. So there is an argument to be made that a single pair model is less agile, in part because its functioning depends heavily on politics. So then what does universal healthcare mean to the Netherlands and how do they X out the politics? Well, you'll never completely remove politics from healthcare, and I don't, I don't think you should. It's, it's very much a human thing, and it, you know, safety, security, quality are all of the utmost importance. And so, we can't completely remove politics or regulation from healthcare, and I, we absolutely shouldn't. But really, it's the single payer is is part of the issue. Where in the Netherlands. Um, there are different insurance options that people can choose, and that comes with different levels of coverage. And those individual plans and insurers can work with the providers on new and innovative care delivery methods. If those delivery methods happen to be better, then either patients will require fewer interventions in the future, or the insurance companies can simply save on costs and really given that that is their incentive, there's more of an incentive for the insurance companies who stand to profit to push that innovation than there would be for government who does not get any direct benefit from the improvement, um, at least within a political cycle. So that's one aspect is just simply having more than one payer means that the payers compete to lower costs or improve care so that the beneficiaries of their plans are actually healthier and don't require quite as much of it. So it's partly about incentives and having competition amongst players, but as well, when you have more, um, say more players in the system, you can start to experiment with delivery methods and at the margin, you might actually discover something new and improve care directly in, that, in those ways. And so really just part of why we were looking at the Dutch system is it, could be a version of it could be implemented in Canada while still maintaining public payer, um, government payer for all of the currently covered or all of the services that are currently publicly covered. The government could simply create two or three more insurance plans. So just to use the example of Ontario, there's standard OHIP, but for some of the population, they have OHIP plus as a program that already exists. We also have the insurance coverage that those that are on unemployment or part of Ontario Works can get. And so we already have many different publicly covered insurance plans. However, they're not accessible to all the different groups in the population. And so part of why we were looking at the Dutch model is that we can maintain public coverage while also injecting this competition and really increasing the options for the public to choose the level of coverage that they might require or need. And in that way, control their own costs a little bit more where you can simply charge higher or lower premiums. So those that are very healthy, young, and don't require much care might opt for less coverage so that their premiums go down and they save some money. So this is all about really empowering individual choice while in injecting an innovative mechanism into the system. Tell me about that choice, though, because there, there may be a perception that, well, 
what do I know about my current and future healthcare needs? Why am I making that decision? Shouldn't the doctors and the professionals be making those calls? And there is an aspect to that as well. Um, really, we do want to ensure that those who might require a high level of coverage don't unintentionally end up underinsured. And while that's a valid criticism, I would say where we're at right now is that there are many people that are underinsured or might be able to go see a doctor, but then couldn't afford their prescriptions. Or they might know they have a cavity, but don't have employer-provided coverage to go see a dentist. And so I think that even if it might be imperfect or not complete in sort of the areas that we're expanding to, some coverage is certainly better than none, particularly for those that currently don't have coverage. Um, and as part of this, it's also worth mentioning now that I've brought it up, that many Canadians are already covered by private insurance for these extended healthcare costs. And so we're really thinking about the unfairness of the existing system where, yes, we all get the same public coverage, but there are many Canadians who actually have much more coverage for dental, mental health care, prescription drugs, and other forms of care that are not publicly covered and some of the population doesn't have access to. And from an equity perspective, I think I don't think the Canadian system is actually quite as equitable as people would like to think that it is, and that we already have um, private coverage for a lot of the system. What kind of checks and balances uh, does the Netherlands have when it comes to ensuring that we don't put profit over patient? Well, yes, you certainly have to make sure that there's um, things to protect people from, um, you know, not getting the appropriate level of coverage, regardless of their ability to pay. And so, um, in particular, for low-income people, premiums for the various insurance plans can be subsidized so that, you know, cost doesn't become as big a factor, particularly for those where affordability is a challenge. Um, meanwhile, for those that are on the wealthier end of the spectrum, their premiums can be, could be higher. So we can also um, have those that can afford to finance a, possibly a little bit more of their own care. So in that way, we can sort of improve equity across the system from where it stands today. As well, you can, um, the Netherlands also has um, regulations around these insurance companies, making sure that they are not um, dissuading or not uh, allowing people to sign up for their plans if they are likely to be high cost uh, in terms of healthcare needs. And so you also have to regulate insurance companies to ensure that they have periods of open enrollment where regardless of your current status, you can enroll in the programs, um, while also ensuring that physicians are, you know, monitored and regulated in terms of providing appropriate care, but not also not providing excessive amounts of care to, um, you know, potentially the patients that could bill at higher rates. Uh, and so I think it's really about sort of the internal mechanics of the system, ensuring that the right regulations are in place to ensure equity. Uh, as well as ensuring that the incentives and rates that 
the insurer or the provider will be paying and receiving are equalized in a way that they don't have preference for treating a certain kind of patient over others. This is starting to sound like the Obama administration's Affordable Care Act. There are aspects of that thinking in here as well. And I would say that, you know, Canadians in general have an almost allergic reaction to talking about American healthcare. And I fully understand the reasons. There are many issues, particularly equity issues. But there are also examples of good value-based care that's more comprehensive, um, depending on what state you might be in or who your insurance provider might be. And so maybe I would say that it would be Obamacare, but from a much more Canadian perspective, where we're still talking mostly, at least to start, about public insurance coverage and just changing the models to ensure that people have more choice and are covered, particularly those people that currently don't have that extended health care coverage. Um, and I think that that's something that the federal government has certainly um, is certainly aware of and has made priority, improving dental coverage as well as prescription drug coverage. And we're part of this paper is, and the focus on the Dutch model was that it appears to be workable from where we are now in Canada. But a point I would really like to drive home is that it's, it's one model of many and that Canadians in general tend to think that it's fully universal or US-based system. And I can say that there are many, many options between those two ends, ends of the spectrum, shall we say, and that many countries with universal health coverage have mixes of public and private players, um, whether they're privately, private, private healthcare delivery, private financing. Um, there's much more of a mix in many, many countries and that Canada is actually unique in the world for covering hospital and doctor services, but not covering prescription drugs. It's not much use to get a prescription if you can't fill it. And so our universal system actually has huge holes in it from the perspective of um, comparing to European systems. And even, you know, I wouldn't say the US, but particular states or particular um, models in the US are also also show high potential for us to learn from and potentially adapt to the Canadian environment. But we can look a lot further than North America, and there's a lot of very interesting ways of doing things in Europe. And I'm really just um, advocating that we, the system we have has become, well, it's a little outdated. It has obvious holes in it, and it's currently in crisis. We need to do something about that, and we can't afford to just keep doing what we've been doing for the last 30, 40, 50 years, because I think what we've seen over the last few years is we're running out of runway on that, and we can't afford to sort of keep the blinders on. We need to think differently, and with the limited resources and the challenges that the system faces, we need to be bold in thinking differently, not just incremental change or more funding as Band-Aid solutions. We need to actually think about the system itself, the incentives, and how we're going to prepare for the future. Talk about the third rail of politics, though. How, how do we ease the shock of transitioning to a multi-payer system? 
Well, and that was really why we had focused on the Dutch model. And, um, you know, just to go back to the example that I was using of Ontario, where there are already multiple different public insurance plans. And I would say the Ontario Portable Benefits Panel that's currently considering options for um, expanding coverage within Ontario is in some ways thinking about the same issues where there's potential for movement. We have, we know what the gaps are, we know what the challenges are. And so at different level, at different governmental levels and in different provinces, I think these conversations are starting to happen. And that really is the challenge is minimizing the disruption. And so I think it starts with working from what we have to minimize disruption, but making sure that we have an end goal in mind and what we want the system to look like, because we can't implement all this change overnight and it will need to go over multiple political cycles and maintaining that vision for what we want for the future is gonna be sort of of the utmost importance. And I fully understand the irony of depending on politics to actually get this process started and then keep it going. But I think that whether um, there's political will or not, it's growing. The, the healthcare system is in crisis. We are short-staffed. I think it's with the COVID pandemic and now the challenges of inflation on households, to me, that is almost um, the only other issue that could grab the attention of Canadians more so is is just making sure that they can keep food on the table. But beyond that, healthcare is important to every single one of us. All of us depend on this system and it is collapsing. So I think the political will will be there to do something different or at least fix it. Fix something is sort of what I'm hearing in the public. And the politicians and the policymakers are now really working through the extremely tough challenge of how and what we know what we need to do, but how are we going to do it and how are we going to implement it? What are, what's the first step and how does that lead to the next step is really sort of the challenge that we're working on right now. Rosalie, thank you for your time and insight today. Thanks for having me. Um, I hope I wasn't too depressing. It's, it's both a dire situation, but I, I, I'm somewhat excited for the potential for us to be bold, do things differently, and hopefully improve access to healthcare for all of all of Canada, because we have gaps. We know about them. It's time for us to sort of have those tough conversations, ask the tough questions, so we can actually do better in the future. Rosalie Wanch is a senior policy analyst at the CD Howe Institute. Still to come from the CD Howe as we grapple with this unique financial crisis, insights on a way forward from Michael D. Bordo, the Board of Governors Professor of Economics and Director of the Center for Monetary and Financial History at Rutgers University. That's September 15th. And October 26th, the Great Rebalancing Act, a roundtable luncheon with the Chief Investment Officers of the CPPIB, Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, and the CDPQ. For details on these events and more, visit cdhow.org. I'm Michael Hainsworth. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the C.D. Howe Institute podcast with Michael Hainsworth. 
Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. The C.D. Howe Institute is an independent, not-for-profit research institute whose mission is to raise living standards by fostering economically sound public policies. The Institute is widely considered to be Canada's most influential think tank and a trusted source of essential policy intelligence, distinguished by nonpartisan, evidence-based research and subject to definitive expert review. Visit cdhow.org and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you.